Hello, and welcome to episode 177 of Effect. Don't fear the Reaper. I'm Dave. And I'm Matthew. And 177 episodes, that's, that's actually amazing. It's quite a lot, isn't it? We, we've, we've actually done more than that, because we don't count the, some of the episodes from when we did RPG a podcast today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's, that's, but, there's, uh, there's a lot of hot air in 177 episodes, enough to float the Hindenburg, I think. Very <laughs> probably. If not, if not the Hindenburg, then at least a very large balloon. Um, and there's more hot air in this show tonight. <laughs> tonight? <laughs> well, it depends when you're listening, or it's, in the morning, if you're listening on your way to work. in the morning at the moment. <laughs> and it is indeed 9.53 in the morning at the moment of recording. Um, we have got... Uh, well, there's a lot of hot air because actually there's not very much uh, specific news to talk about. We've only got two items in the world of gaming and we've uh, only got, well, we've got no patrons to thank you, apart from all our usual patrons who are just the, lovely. All the current ones, yes, absolutely. Yep. Um, we do have an interview with Anna Westerling about the League of Free Agents. We do. And we do have... Um, Something that may be spoilerful at the end of the show, which is why we're going to put it at the end of the show, but it's a discussion of the events of uh, the last Cyclade, which we um, which we finished a couple of weeks ago, Dave, you and I, oh. uh, and other people um, were there. Uh, so we're going to have a bit of a chat about that. But yes, um, and that's, that's it. But if you, yeah, if you haven't got to the end of that, then obviously that's going to be packed full of spoilers. So as Matt says, yes. we will kind of end the show early, but then if you want to hang on, carry on, then you can. Yeah, cool. Yes. No, I think that's uh, that's still going to be plenty of hot air. Um, we, we're not we're not knowingly under hot aired, are we? So uh, no, no. <laughs> uh, I, well, let, let let us start then with the world of gaming. Yes, and the news that has been exciting people on the. Uh, internets which is that cubicle seven have invented D D. <laughs> doctors and daleks now yes, I've, I've, um, I've, I've spoken before about my absolute lack of interest in playing doctor who as a role-playing game I'm not sure why i just never fancied it um so uh over to you matt tell me why i should be interested in doctors and daleks well, I think I'm in agreement with you. I mean, you know, <laughs> this is going to be a really old. short piece, then, isn't it? You, you don't like it. I don't like it. Okay, move on. No, uh, no, no I, there's stuff I want to talk about, though. There's stuff I do want to talk about. Go on then. So <clears throat> we are quite, we are old enough. We're not 900 years old or 2,000 uh-huh. years old, or however the doc, however old the doctor is currently, but we are. Um, we are old enough to have seen quite a few Doctor Who role-playing games. Yes. And I don't think we have ever played one. Nope. Well, I haven't. We do have, as a friend of the show, uh, Dave Chapman is the author of mm. uh, both the most recent edition of Cubicle 7's Doctor Who role-playing game and also the previous edition of Cubicle 7's Doctor Who role-playing game and the inventor of the Vortex system upon which those versions of the game run and also i think he is going to be one of the authors of this new doctors and dialects game but there was a lot of shall we say um 
I'm going to say opprobrium because it's a word that we don't use on this podcast enough. But a lot of opprobrium <laughs> about the fact that Cubicle 7 are even doing this thing, creating a fifth edition compatible yeah. version of Doctor Who. And calling it Doctors and Daleks. Well, I love that they call it Doctors and Daleks because very few people have created something based on the open gaming license for 5th edition and actually called it D&D. &D. I think everybody should. Uh, well, it should be. Actually, it should be Assistants, Doctors and Daleks. And then it's yes. AD&D. <laughs> yes. Um, and so a lot of people have said, well, hold on. Surely um, system... Uh, system seven no that's cubicle uh, seven <laughs> cubicle seven cubicle seven uh are doing a bad thing here because as we all know fifth edition rules are all about um, grinding monsters to dust yes. uh in in dungeons not about the sort of thing that doctor who does um no uh you know he he doesn't hit Daleks with his broadsword until they reach zero hit points. How can <laughs> fifth edition rules possibly recreate the feel of Doctor Who? Yeah. And I don't know how they can. No. But, you know, I mean, I think uh, what we do know from the massive number of people playing Doctor Who and, no, sorry, from the, from the small number of people playing Doctor Who in comparison to the massive number of people playing D&D, uh, in the world currently, you know, this is one of the biggest uh, revenue streams for Hasbro, which is a huge multinational toy company. Mm. There's loads of people doing it. There's the critical role guys doing it. And we can see that um, uh, there's, you know, that people do use D&D for things that aren't simply smashing um, dragons into yeah. the dust in a dungeon. And so... Whether, whether the system is built for that or not, you know, people use it as a springboard for doing other stuff. And I'm pretty sure the guys at Cubicle 7 who are working on this will adapt the rules to make it feel more like Doctor Who. But still, why is the mm. question? Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting one, isn't it? Now, there's been a preponderance, it seems to me, uh, of games who are you now... You just said that because I said opprobrium, didn't you? <laughs> Well, we don't use the word preponderance enough in this game. No, we this, don't use it enough. Podcast. No, no. Um, so we're going <clears> to... <throat> what was it in Blackadder? Uh, well, where General Melchit says, oh, note that word down. I don't use... I want to use it more in gobbledygook. That was it. <laughs> gobbledygook, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Nice word, darling. Note it down. I want to use it more in conversation. Anyway, preponderance. That, that so is most of our podcast is gobbledygook. So, uh, so I will allow well, that. We, and we, also... We aspire... I just want to say... We aspire to gobbledygookdom. <laughs> but <laughs> also, Dave, I want to thank you for that reminding you of a Blackadder thing and not another Fraser quote. <laughs> I'm sure I can find a Fraser quote somewhere. Don't worry. No, no. Please don't. Please don't. <laughs> I'm listening. Um, oh, not to you, if I can get away with it. Anyway, back to my point, preponderance. So I think there's been a preponderance of game or genres or, or games leaping upon the 5e bandwagon. Mm. And the way I'm describing this isn't possibly in the in the most positive terms. Um, no, it's not I, sounding like it. And it's I'm not, not sure. I'm not sure. I, I'm not. I, well, there's a bit of me that does mean that, and there's a bit of me that doesn't. So I think I can completely get why why some people would want to do that um, and and open up their game world to a, a lot of people who might 
be comfortable with the rule system and give it a punt because they're comfortable mm. with the rule system. Um, but I do think, you know, are we on the slippery slope that in 20 years' time, every game will be using 5e rules because every game will jump on the 5e bandwagon because you can't sell a game that doesn't use 5e because no one will play rules other than 5e. Um, I'm being a little bit facetious, but, uh, you know, I, I do, yeah, you know, yeah, okay. for some, for I, someone I who, take for your someone point. Who doesn't really, doesn't hasn't. Again, I'm being okay. Let me start again. For someone who doesn't play Five E, who has played a bit of Five E and did quite enjoy it, but I, you know, my role playing experiences, I want them to be more than just combat, and I, I want them to be combat too. But actually, the, the the most fun we get in games is the interaction between the players. You know, the two hour debate between us about whether we. Uh, how we should murder this guy who's tried to steal from us before we then invite him into the party and become his friends, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. So, but I which think, you do a lot, Dave. Which we do a lot, yeah. But we but, normally, but because, we normally come you know, to the right conclusion in the end, though. In the end, yes. <laughs> I, I, uh, so one what, one thing that's actually gone out this morning as we're recording, and I need to uh, tweet about it, because I haven't actually publicised the last two episodes of The Vale of the Dead. Mm. And uh, <clears throat> at the moment, uh, you're just beginning that moral argument about what you do with the um, with the whiners in Vale of the Dead. Yes. And uh, uh, I, you know this is going to be this is going to be a long discussion. That I know is going to carry on into the <laughs> next episode. But at the point where I finished it, I thought the fun thing to do would be to finish it on Tony saying, basically, it's what my character would do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> role playing, isn't it? That's role playing. Yeah. So, yeah. You know. Um, but yeah, I kind of forgotten what my original point was. But um, so, so yeah, yeah. You're, you were saying that it doesn't actually really, although you don't play five e much, it doesn't really matter whether you were playing five e. You'd still have that two hour long discussion about what you were going to do with the guys. Yes, we would. Um, yeah, but I, 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 I still think that um, having having one system become dominant in that way. I I would I would argue is possibly not good for the health of the hobby. I guess mm-hmm. it's my, it's, guess is my point, and I might be I might be totally worrying unnecessarily and being a bit of an idiot, um, which is entirely possible on both counts. Um, but it, it, yeah. yeah. So my maybe, counterpoint maybe would be feel, maybe I feel differently if I was in a long running five year campaign that I was loving. Quite possibly is 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 it. Isn't it already dominant, actually? And are not yeah, all RPG boats floated by the rising tide? Um, Possibly. You know, we have spoken in the past about a golden age of role-playing games. Has that, in part at least, been um, been helped by the mass acceptability of D&D in a, in a, in a way that... Um, yeah. You know, every, yeah, you know, everybody possibly. has. Everybody at least knows what you're talking about now. Whereas when you and I were at school, um, we used to have to explain what it was. But now we can just say, "Well, what we do is a bit like D and D." Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's that. That's true. I, I, I don't disagree with that. Um, and I, I think the other key I, thing I is, think, I do think I, I'm not sure. I take your point about five E and D and D generally. Because it's you know, it's been around forever, everyone knows it, and and I think also some very popular pop culture references in 
things like Stranger Things and uh, mm-hmm. Close Encounters. No, not um, ET. So when it gets when it gets put into those situations, people then begin to uh, you know, understand what it is. Um, so I think yes, it's it, the fact that people now know what you mean when you say D and D is a great thing. I think that that rising tide thing is probably um, what's the right word? It's, it's not even. So just thinking that you know, I think games like Alien really pull the tide up because it brings so many you know that that kind of IP in a game that's been done really well. That really gives a boost to that rising tide. And it might be that the D&D is giving the, the foundation for Alien to happen in that way. Um, but yeah, I, yeah. As I said, I might feel very differently if I was actually in a long-running 5e game. And I did enjoy the 5e that I played a few years ago, but it was just like the D&D of old that we played when we were kids. Here's a, here's a castle, go in and kill everything. Here's a dungeon, yeah. go in and kill everything. Which is fine, and that's uh, fun. I enjoy it, but it's not the role playing experience that I've kind of grown to love the most. Well, I, you know, I so I played a campaign um, uh, some some time ago now. Actually, some years ago, I guess now, freakily. Well, obviously, some years ago because we've been doing this for four years. And I think mm-hmm. I finished before we started doing this, and I've still got my. Uh, I'm just reaching uh, out of mic range to pick up my little uh, mini, which my son your, created your character. for me. Uh, my character, my naked elf barbarian, who um, went through that campaign, went up all the levels, actually did the final hit against the dragon or whatever mm-hmm. it was that we were fighting at the end, demon, with his with his fancy sword, um, and retired to become a sex worker, I believe, <laughs> in the story. This is, Having this, spent this is your some aspiration time for your life, wasn't it, all along? Just... In the middle of the campaign, uh, being both a gladiatorial champion and sex worker in that once I'd won fights, people would want to come and have sex with me um, and uh, enjoying thoroughly every moment of it. Um, uh, and that, you know, and I, I guess that wasn't just going into a dungeon and killing, no. killing everything in it. No. So, so yeah, it can be flexible. And, you know, at the heart of it, uh, why begrudge Cub- Cubicle 7 aren't replacing their Vortex system Doctor Who game with D&D. They're running the two in parallel. Uh, Free League are doing the Ruins of Simbaroom alongside Simbaroom. Yes, yeah. Um, I'm not sure I can begrudge people wanting to do a D&D version if it thinks it's going to open up a, a bigger section of the market. But I do yeah. take your point that doing something like Alien has hopefully reached out to a lot of people and Avatar, let's, you know, let's yes. not be... That's um, uh, I think that's, about that's, this. that's delivering. I think as we speak, I was chatting to my nephew Ali um, mm-hmm. when, when we were playing Fiasco on Wednesday, and that was a Fiasco game. That was, um, yeah. Uh, and he was saying he was expecting to get the PDF from that this week. I think mm. yesterday or today. So that's just about to um, just about to, to start delivering at least. So when we were saying uh, what goes in the world of gaming, Dave, you didn't mention that, did you? There no, we I go. I forgot all Don't about me. that. Yeah. And now we can't talk about Avatar because you didn't put it down in the world of gaming. <laughs> well, you, know, you haven't put down UK Games Expo on the list. Oh, you have now, actually. Okay, fair enough. I'll well, yes, I have. I have because we <laughs> talked about it and you said add it to the list of the world of gaming. Is that a segue, Dave? It is. It is. Well, it's a segue to Avatar. 
if there's something else we want to say about Avatar. But no, 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 we won't talk about Avatar. I think, well, I think, not on the list. Although, talk and, about it in two weeks' time. The Come one, on. The one thing I would say is, I think, as a in terms of um, <clears throat> you know lifting the tide, or, or rising tide. If Avatar doesn't right, hasn't risen the tide somewhat, then mm-hmm. uh, you know, to, to use a phrase that my my uh, my my dad would use would be, I'll be I'll be knocked down with a feather. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So. Um, yeah. UK yeah. Games UK Games Ex- Expo. Yes. Actually, there is a there is a thing about UK Games Expo that slightly connects to this because. Uh, we were having a chat with Anna Westerling about UK Games Expo last week, weren't we? we were. And um, we were trying to suggest that UK Games Expo might want to run a big Ruins of Simbaroom game because we thought there'd be loads of D&D DMs who'd be willing to do that. Yeah. But I don't think we've convinced UK <clears throat> Games Expo of that thing. And so um, what do we know about UK Games Expo so far? Well, we do know that... Um we were talking to John Dodd um, at Dragon Meet and um, our, our chat with Anna and some conversations with John have uh, resolved down that John, John's got this idea to do a, um, a role-play tournament um, on the Saturday of UK Games Expo and he's very keen to do that using Alien. And it's uh, it seems that he's now got agreement from Free League to, to do that as long as it's all entirely unofficial and it's not connected, it's you know, it's not a, an official publication. It's not an official tournament. Mm. This is kind of a, it will effectively be kind of a fan tournament, but run by UK yeah. Games Expo with a scenario that John and his people who are going to run the tournament, they're going to write it. And there's a, there's been a call on Facebook and probably on other socials, but Facebook's the only one that I really follow um, for people who are interested in GMing. Um, for that tournament and presumably there might be a call for people who are interested in participating as well so it'll be uh, it's going to be in the realms of the old Cthulhu tournaments that they always used to run um, where you'd have I think three rounds where each round is a different scenario that builds on the previous one and Mm -hmm. for each game the the players will vote on which player they think was the best role player and the winner of that vote will then go on to the next round. And so mm. there's no, hopefully, um, you know, it's all very fair and um, uh, you know, it should be, it's, it's not as if you've got a panel of judges who are going to be deciding who is best on the basis of some criteria they come up with. Um, so yeah, it sounds like it should be really good fun. And, um, you know, we've offered our support to John if there's something we could do to help in um in getting that off the ground but um i think he's got uh he's got quite a lot in mind already about how to get that going but um if you're interested um check it out have a look on uh on the socials and i don't know if it's gone up on a uk games expo website yet probably not at this point but i don't know have a look and um yeah see what you think Cool. Yes. Uh, so we should uh, link to that Facebook group if you can find me the link, and we'll put that link in the show notes, plus any other links we might find if we can on the website. Although last time I looked at the website, it was look it was all looking a little bit out of date, and there was nothing about volunteer um, yeah, DMs okay. or GMs yeah. yet. Yes. Um, 
Of course, the other thing we should mention about UK Games Expo and uh, indeed all the other conventions this year and in the future is there's now a system of getting rewarded if you run free league games. There is. This is a segue, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it a segue? (laughs) It's only taken four years, but here you are with a brilliant segue. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's. Um, shall we move straight on to our chat with Anna then? Cool. Um, here we are uh, in the hammam with uh, our lovely guest today, uh, Anna Westerling. Now, Anna, um, you've been working for Free League for a while. It's lovely to have you on the show. We've worked with you a little bit around a number of conventions and other things as well. It's uh, Matt's had the pleasure of meeting you in the flesh. I've only ever met you virtually, but hopefully we'll fix that later this year with a bit of luck. Um, now, with all of our guests uh, on the show who, uh, who come on for the first time, we always like to get them to give us a little flavour of them as a person and uh, tell us a little bit about your life in gaming, how you got to, to where you are today. But welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm so happy to be here. I've heard lots of good things about this show, so I'm happy to be on it. Um, And my life in gaming, well, like most people, or like I began as a teenager, where I first heard about this LARP, like live action role playing, Mm -hmm. run around in the forest and pretend to be somebody else. And at this point, I also read a lot of fantasy. So like this was how could this be bad? So that's how I began. <laughs> and after that, as of course, as a nerd, I've been doing some convention, playing some role-playing games, but also organizing a lot of LARPs, which means that I became quite good at organizing events. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, uh, three years ago, I began to work as an event manager at Free League. So I've been with them ever since. So that's great fun and get to yeah get to travel the world and like visit different conventions and get to know people and spread freely gaming to the world Mm. so that's uh, something i'm very happy about that's brilliant although of course you said that was three years ago that you got that job so you started doing that for a bit and then there was no traveling the world and Mm. hardly (laughs) any events um was that a bit frustrating for you it was, I don't know, I remember it like when the pandemic came, everything, like all my clients kind of stopped. So it was, it was, it was, you know, something beyond my control. So I don't mm. know, it wasn't that frustrating, more like, okay, now we live in this world. Uh, okay. And what I would say was really what the pandemic did was that we started working with different sales team in different countries, for example, you two in, uh, in UK, and we have some people in the US. So I kind of, began to tie people closer. And this means that we from Sweden need to travel less, which is good, I think, that we can have like locals do, doing things in their local scenes since then no no often know it better. So but occasionally I still get to travel and see, you know, I want I want to visit the events because sometimes it's so hard to know how an event works if mm. you haven't been there. Since of course gaming events over the world have similarities, but they're also kind of a bit similar sometimes you need to know how do we do on this event and what do we do Mm. and so on so that means we are uh, hopefully going to be seeing you at uk games expo later this year yes yes i have never been i didn't go 2019 and then of course it was 2020 and pandemic so now i'm like yes i want to (laughs) go yeah but i do remember you booked um it was kind of 
you you were relatively new in the job when you booked the space mm. for us when we when we launched um uh, alien alien me on the feeling yeah that was yeah i think that was one of some some of the first things i did and i was a bit nervous because of course you know like i i'm looking at birmingham on a map like where is this place okay how do i <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i'm guessing i've learned because now it's like yeah yeah let's book the space let's get the table let's get staff t-shirts the products and then we'll go that's so brilliant it's, it's fun and it's fun to meet a lot of fans and mm. listen to people who get this joy from playing like i yeah, I like that free leagues games are so, you know, you play in person, you you do something and create something together, which I think is awesome. Yeah. And and, and in fact, that's kind of, we, we can talk some more about conventions later, but main reason for inviting you on this show is an announcement that you made, well, earlier this week as we're recording, but last week mm-hmm. when when the uh, when this episode the show came was out. out. Yeah. And that is about the League of Free Agents. Now, it yes. seems to have got lots of people excited, but can you explain to any of our listeners <laughs> who haven't already got excited by it what the League of Free Agents is? It's basically we ask our fans to help us spread free league games to the world and to other people. So um, if you play a free league game as a public event, there's been lots of discussion about this, about, but some kind of a public event where you spread it. It could be the digital or physical um, spread freely gaming to new people, you get a little perk in our web shop afterwards. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's this, basically this is news that everybody will want to hear. Um, and uh, so, when, when you soft launched the link to us, I shared it with um, uh, some prospective uh, people, and uh, some of our well, one of our patrons came back saying, Wow, that looks like a really generous perk because. It's um, what is it? It's about a hundred Swedish kroner. Uh, yeah, so it's about, about eleven US dollar, and I don't know in pounds. Something like nine or ten pounds. Yeah. Okay. So that's a that's a discount. So um, then you will be able, yeah, to, to buy even more freely games, <laughs> so you can play even more freely games to the world, and like yeah, it becomes, it becomes a positive feedback loop, doesn't it? Of buying games and getting a bonus, of buying more games and getting a bonus. <laughs> yeah. and then, I'm mean, running out of time to play any of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's very generous. Uh, of course, before that as well, though, I understand um, people who sign up for the League of Free Agents also get access to some um, exclusive scenarios that haven't yet been published yes. uh, yes. for running at those games. Can you tell me a little bit yes. more about that? Yes, we have we have a Dropbox. I'm going to see if I can find the Dropbox with it. <laughs> different ones that we have yes we have there's right now the our our, um, our goal is to have one one scenario for each our one each one of our product lines we're not there quite yet and we also want to like so there come new scenarios a bit now and then so you you know you have something new to bring to your local convention or to your scene and so on but right now we have it's one in alien coriolis forbidden lands Symbaron and Symbaron, yeah, I don't know, possibly Symbaron 5A, Tales of the Loop and uh, Vasen. So yeah. that's quite a lot of different product mm. lines. Now, uh, of those, of course, the only one I've spotted that isn't actually, well, won't be very exclusive for very long is A Winter's Tale, because that is going to come out in uh, the season Seasons of Mystery book when, when that arrives. 
Um, but yes. everything else, I think, is exclusive. Um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I don't so know exactly because it's production time. How much time do we have to give, give new scenarios? But mm. hopefully, we'll we'll try to fill it out so there will be new things and. We all already got in questions in our locked forum. You also get access to a locked forum where I will hang around and answer, answer questions, uh, answer about questions about the one ring. So that's, of course, something I would want there. But in the meantime, if you want to play the one ring on convention, you can play the starter set because that's also very nice and play, play hobbies. Right. <laughs> but you're going to put a bit of a pressure on the creators behind the one ring to maybe create an exclusive. We'll see if that could happen. I don't know. <laughs> that would be lovely. Um, yeah. So uh, everybody gets uh, these perks. How how are you going to how are you going to kind of judge whether the event they're doing is is a proper public event? You mentioned it's a public event. It can be online. It you know it can be at a convention, but um, there, there is a. To get the perk, there is a form you need to fill out, and I'm the one looking at it. And then you need, like, we ask you for a location, a web page for the event, and so on. And I will, I will do my best. But you know, this may, you know, if you're a really sneaky person, maybe you can sneak past me. But like, <laughs> that's not a, like, hey, we're all friends. We want to spread freely games to the world. <laughs> Help out, uh, and and. From the questions I got on the forum, people like wants to be honest and want to do the right thing. How is this plan to be, and what is a public event, and how can you mm. like? Um, so, but the main idea is to like you, you get a perk for helping spreading our games to more people, mm. um, and we hope that you have fun in the meantime, and that you do it because it's fun. Because of course, we all love, love role playing. Like that's mm -hmm. the so. So, do you... I, I, but I will do my best to check people and. And it's also, you also need to say country and um, city. So I will get a, like some kind of some kind of data or idea on like where is this game happening and which countries mm. are we strong, where are we not, how can we. So that will also be super interesting to see where people are and how they play. And so. so to give you an example then, just, just to test this on you, um, as you well know, uh, the game shop where I work, which Dave won't ever let me mention the game shop in Aldershot where I work, but... Um, yeah. Far too much product placement. Product placement, <laughs> An unknown game shop close to <laughs> So, but in the game shop in Aldershot where I work, we're, we're going to run next weekend, in fact, or again, if you're listening to this, it's too late. You've probably listened to it after it's gone on. Uh, the Free League Showcase where... We're going to have a number of volunteer uh, GMs running games for us. We've already got people booked up for Versen, for Alien, um, for more Alien, and for the One Ring. That's exactly the sort of thing that some those GMs can then claim their their discount from you by filling in a form. This could be a physical or digital convention or organised play at the local game store. And what from I'm hearing. What you're doing, Matt, at your unknown game store, <laughs> it, it's organized play. And right. then I would say, yes, this falls Excellent. under organized play. And it's great that like you want to give up space to show off freely games and have people playing them. So go ahead. Yes, you, you will send them to my form. And then if 
they fill out something weird and I don't approve them, you can come back to me and be like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and then we'll see. But it's, it should work out. Like, this is the location. This is what we've done. And it's, it's of course, because we want to, you know, uh, get help from our fans spreading the games, but also involving our fans because they, they seem they want to help us and you know mm-hmm. spread role-playing games to the world like it seems like role-playing games is once again on a boom up which i think is nice yeah so presumably um obviously people need to sign up for this and there will be sort of standards of um scenario and uh, behavior that people will be expected to uphold as part of the uh, the League of, uh, of Free Agents? Yeah, as, as any secret agents anywhere, <laughs> there, there is a code. And it's, it's I think it it's not really, it's kind of be sane, take care of each other, but it's always good to put those things in papers. So you can yeah. like, this is what we expect. And I felt when I wrote it, I'm like, should I be like, be on time? And then it's like, yeah, be on time. It's nice to be on time. Like, so, mm-hmm. so there's yeah. some of those and like, yeah. If you're going to do stuff where you still are like promoting free league and represent us, we want you to kind of behave a little, you know, don't, don't be bad. Be nice. <laughs> <laughs> so things like that. So that's yeah. the basic kind of premise. Yeah. I think some, I think sometimes it's really good idea to just, just reinforce some of those really basic things that, that yeah. people think don't need reinforcing, but actually they are the things that need reinforcing the most, like yeah. being on time, being reliable and committed. If you've said you're going to do something, turn up and do it. Yeah. Um, and then obviously it goes through all the way through to the standards of behavior and the kind of, uh, you know, sort of managing content and managing, yeah. you know, ch- challenging issues in the game as well. So it's, yeah. uh, we shouldn't forget the basic consideration at all and some of them i don't think everyone has said yes we follow this some are like are inclusive and welcome to everyone everybody that's like hey that's a good kind of life advice (laughs) yes yes be inclusive and welcome like so it's it's not but it's still like it's nice to have it in print so you know this is what we expect so people like no okay okay and hopefully everyone is like yes this i want to be but if you feel this is not for you then of course you, you can do something else so, so be it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so be it. <laughs> um, so what I, I like particularly like the paragraph that says uh, our games are meant to be used in a spirit of inclusion and equality. The subject matter of our games might sometimes be dark and explore mature themes, but around the table we should always treat each other with respect and sensitivity. Yeah. And it's, uh, I think that's good. Well said. Yeah. Two other paragraphs like that, and that's it. That's the code of contact. It's it's really simple, yeah. mm. really plain, yeah. and something yeah. to follow in spirit. You don't have to worry about following the words of it. Um, yeah. Okay, so uh, we've already talked about people starting next week being free agents, but where can... Yeah, I already people... got my first report, so I'm like very <laughs> excited. I'm going to look cool. at it and be like, okay... What happened? I'm going to see if there's GM report forms. Yes, there's a, there's one response here. Oh, right. Uh, we already had somebody doing it. Yes. Yeah. Some, some response. So I'm going to check it out and be like, um, see what that is. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, obviously, one of the great things about starting it this year is live conventions are back. 
big time. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm so excited to be like traveling again and meeting people. Like, like I, I managed quite well during the pandemic. I don't know about you guys, but right now I feel I need a little like um, refill on social activities, on people, on thoughts, ideas. So I'm like, yes, it's good. Let me go out in the world and meet people and see what they're up to. And obviously, you, you've already listed in, I know, in some of your emails to free agents, some of the conventions that they might mm -hmm. want to volunteer at and, and promote the games. But that's not a limitation, is it? They can, any of their local conventions or anything like that, they can just yeah. sign up. They don't need the word yeah. from you. Um, no. And they can play games on, on your behalf, yeah. on, on Felix's behalf there. That's brilliant. Yeah. So, so yes. And like, ha having now worked with it, like, I don't know. <laughs> like I know very few conventions like there's so many conventions which is so fun uh, but yes so sign up to your local ones and like free league official from us we can be at say the big conventions but of course we want our games to be played even at you know all different type of conventions so and do you know yes. where there are going to actually be free league people representing the free league um, where, where we already? Where, where's planned for you to visit? Yes, we can. We will be at UK Games Expo. Hooray! Um, and then, yay! <laughs> so we're coming to England. I'm coming to England. I'm hope nothing messes that up this year. Um, so I, I hope the number of people coming from Free League to UK Games Expo isn't any kind of reflection on the team who ran it last year. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard a team that ran it last year was brilliant. So <laughs> no, um, it's it's because you UK Games Expo seems to be a, it's a very nice convention. Mm, like, it is, it's a good one. Yeah, they're they're very good. Like as an event manager, I appreciate get, uh, conventions that are good with information design, and I would say UK <laughs> Games Expo fall into that. So I got what, I get what I need. Like so, but yes, we will be there. And then uh, we will, I'm going to check my, but we'll, yeah, we'll do GenCon probably in the US. Excellent. Uh, and, then, nice. and then probably Essen in Germany. Mm -hmm. But of course we have our different type of sales team on other conventions. Like they're so fun. I'm, I'm here in Stockholm and right now in Florida, there are people from, uh, from our US sales team at an uh, event called Pensacon. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Although Doug say, isn't there, I know that because I've just seen him that. on Facebook saying he couldn't get no. his, his disastrous journey to get there. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. No. No. So he isn't there. He isn't there. But John is instead. Uh, so John and Drew, Andrew Gaska, mm. who has the writer of Alien, is there. So that's kind of funny to sit here and like the books have seemed to have made it. Is everything all right? <laughs> is there any catastrophes I need to handle? Okay, Doug's flight didn't work. How can we solve this? Um, so that's our kind of happening now. And, and what about then, Swedish course, conventions? Because, of course, um, obviously you're a yeah. Swedish company. Uh, Swedish GMs obviously can sign yeah. up to the League we'll of Free Agents. Yes, we'll be at Gothcon mm -hmm. uh, this Easter. Mm. So that would be fun. Nice. Um, so that's the next kind of Swedish one, I think. Yeah. That's yeah. the next Swedish one. And then we'll probably do some summer conventions. Mm. Yeah. Do you have any plans to come over for Dragon Meet in December this year? Any of you? 
Mm, it's December. It's um, I'm, I need to say, you know, something we don't know. No, I have no idea, to be honest, okay. how <laughs> we will do Dragon Meat since it's so far ahead. But somehow Free League will be there, like, and sell <laughs> the books. Exactly who it is, if it's you guys or me or someone else. I don't know, but our aim, because Dragon Meat seems to have been a nice con. And mm. yeah, so we'll probably be there. Um, so that's, I think for the UK, it's UK Games Expo, Dragon Meat. And then I occasionally get emails from other conventions. So I do have my eye out. So if you're like, yeah, here we have a convention. It's super big. You should be here. Or like, this is something you should do. I So since the UK is like a good, good place for us to be. Mm. Brilliant. So uh, if people want to find out more and also if they want to sign up as a free agent in the League of Free Agents, where do they go? They go to the Free League web page. That's freeleaguepublishing.com. The very, very short URL, freeleaguepublishing.com. <laughs> <laughs> and then you go under community and then it says League of Free Agents Organized Play. Brilliant. And of course, I'm looking so at this website in English. Is it in Swedish as well? Yeah, it, it does exist in Swedish. You can probably change up on top of the... Change the language. Yeah, change, yeah. Yeah, change the, the language. If, if you feel English speaking. isn't really for you, you're more of a Swedish <laughs> guy at this moment. But otherwise, you can have it in English. I yeah. do have one more question. Which is your favourite free league game? Oh, which is my favourite? <laughs> oh, that's a tough one. Um, I do like Tales because it's so like quite social realistic you you yeah, you know yeah. you play kids you need to be home for dinner it's school <laughs> all of that combined with mysteries um and then we played at the office the wandering starter set just the other day and i thought that was because then we were like very cute hobbits <laughs> um so that was nice on the other hand sometimes it's nice to you know uh, kill your friends in space or die with your friends in space <laughs> <laughs> so i played uh, i played alien also so they, they're all very different it's mm. like yeah which is your yeah it's like what's your favorite movie it's also a very hard question but i would yeah. say it's kind of top top my list um yeah cool yeah so that yeah that would be my answer right okay i think it's time we uh we, yeah. we let Anna go now and carry yeah, on. Yeah, thanks. Thanks yes. so much, Anna. Cheers. Lovely to see you. Yeah, lovely to see you too. And I will get back to you with all this with UK Games Six. We've kind of sorted out however things will fall. Now, uh, we recorded that last week. Uh, sadly, our production schedule means that we didn't beat uh, beat Anna to appearing on um, Doug's uh, Free League YouTube channel. Um, performance uh, which i think was yesterday the monthly update thing yeah monthly update yeah, yeah. so uh, i i'm sure to most of our fans we're not breaking that news but that mm. was good chat it was great and um, yeah. and it you know dude uh, anna's an interesting person to talk to uh, and a very different side of the free league you know when, when we first went and did that interview with uh, the guys from Free League uh, early on in the history of this podcast, back when uh, we met in you know that booth in a pub, and that in booth the, was in, effectively in the Bishop's the Arms in Gamlestan in uh, in Stockholm. Yeah, November. And pretty much the only the only person getting paid was Nils back then, wasn't he? Everybody else was still um, 
you know had other jobs and yes. uh, you know and and now it's changed so now they employ people like anna and bowl and other people i saw them advertising for a logistics person yes i saw that uh, too uh, yeah and uh some time ago that's sort of thing i want to get into but you know it's great to see a company being able to support people's livelihoods like this yeah. and it and anna's a lovely person i spent all of essen with her mm. last uh, year and uh, it'll be great to see her and the others costa even of course now costa consulus was somebody we haven't spoken to since that interview oh i have and i'd love to because i was spoken to him well I, I, I was over in sweden a couple of years ago <clears throat> for um a ah. uh, cousin's wedding and i took the chance to go over to stockholm and i saw costas and nils and thomas and martin um and we had a lovely evening in in a pub in um i think it's in sirdemalm in stockholm so we're mm. near, near a weather offices from from Gamlestan. and that was great. So it's really nice to see. It's always a great pleasure to see those guys, and uh, it's such. Uh, you know, it's like we said when we first, um, when we were first there. I still remember really clearly when we met Nils for the first time, and you and I were sat in the pub having a beer, waiting for them, and he came over. We'd obviously never met him before, um, but it was just like an old gamer mate that we hadn't seen in mm. years kind of thing. And it was lovely. It was just so comfortable and so easy to get on with. And obviously we had lots to talk about, lots of common interests and stuff. So I'm really looking forward to seeing them all again. It's a great, great to see them and great that Costas is going to come over. Um, but also great that, that, you know, I think there a lot of them are planning to come, which would be brilliant. Yeah. And um, I don't think we can say too much about it at the moment because nothing is certain, but we are looking at ways for more fans to come and have a, just a kind of a, 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 a meet and greet with, yeah. their, with the team during UK Games Expo while they're all gathered there. Yep, um, so, absolutely. But, uh, I, I'm sure Anna will be announcing that uh, as we firm up ideas. Yeah. Yeah, so it should um, be really good. Looking forward to it. Shall we listen to my piece? No, so well, first of all... Yeah, let's, um, let's, let's... Let's do a spoiler for, warning. Yeah, for those people who, who aren't going to want to listen to our conversation around uh, The Last Cyclade and um, Coriolis, now is the time where you want to stop listening. Um, so to all of you, have a great couple of weeks and may the icons bless your adventures. But for everybody else... Listen on, but be warned. Spoilers. Spoilers. Spoilers ahead. Spoilers. There be spoilers. <laughs> Here be spoilers. You are. How many more times can we say spoilers in a really stupid way? Well, that, surely that's enough of a spoiler warning. Now, isn't it? <laughs> yes. And, and we've done it both in English and in West Country. So that's pretty much the whole world covered. <laughs> right then, let's listen to your ramblings the open horizon spoiler warning if you are a player who has not yet read through the events of the last cyclade stop listening now we mean it but if you have played all the way through including the very last act or you are a gm who has read all of the last cyclade then you know what happens the destruction of the practical centre and symbolic nexus of Zenithian power, mere hours after the Zenithian hegemony's audacious coup, caught many readers by surprise, 
and concerns were raised. What will the players feel if they cannot affect the outcome? What would be the fate of beloved NPCs? How can the game even be called Coriolis if Coriolis Station is no longer part of the setting? Well, we finished the last Cyclade a couple of weeks early, which did catch me a little bit by surprise. And it's taken me a while to process the actual implications of the destruction of Coriolis, as opposed to the theoretical ones, in my campaign. And, of course, to think about what happens next. What does not happen next is the campaign moving straight on to the third and last volume, because that has not yet been published. <sighs> First of all, though, let's address those concerns that many GMs expressed upon first reading The Last Cyclade, which might still be very real concerns for those still in the early stage or even preparing to run the campaign. First of all, don't worry that your players might feel that they can't prevent the destruction of Coriolis. They have a different mission, and my players were very happy that the survival of Judge Curahan is something that they could have an impact on. In our campaign, you can see me desperately trying to get the players closer to the action for fear that they might not have the same narrative if they just observed it all on a screen. When they adamantly said no, our mission was to rescue Judge Curahan and take her to Dachum, well, I had them instead communicating with characters that were closer to the action and watching the destruction of the monolith city and Coriolis on their shipboard monitors. Now, of course, this might well have been different. Dave started Ossian off as a fervent Zenithian, and for most of the last Cyclade, he and Yakub had been working for the Astaban. Luckily, they took the subtle hints I gave them as GM, and mainly reminding them that the Zenithian hegemony were the space Nazis, and switched sides. But what if they hadn't? What if they had infiltrated Judge Curahan's hiding place, which would have been Mandragore Ho's house, and assassinated her as per their Zenithian orders? They might simply have reported to their employers up in the spire and been totally unaware of events around the monolith until they were blasted to smithereens, along with every other stinking Zenithian collaborator. And yes, thousands of innocents. We will return to this topic. Now, I did try and give them a luxurious home base in the monolith, just in case they remained loyal to hegemony, but I honestly don't think they would have headed in that direction. I might have had to order them to go and kill Judge Curahan's son, and if that had happened, then yes, the destruction of Coriolis might have been seen as an anticlimactic failure on their part. So, my advice is, don't let your friends side with the space Nazis. And that is good advice for life in general too. In my situation, though, given my player character's distance from events, I felt I needed to adapt the text description in the book to include things that reminded them about the connections they had with people involved in the destruction of Coriolis, 
For example, the debris from the monolith falling on areas of the conglomerate where Yacoub's aunt lived, like volcanic ash. The Crossroads College where Yacoub and Ossian had started their adventures as two down-on-their-luck detectives. And I had a guest character, Cade, be right at the centre of the action as the monolith was fired. The other aspect of the destruction of Coriolis which worries GMs is the player characters being powerless in the face of near-genocidal mass murder. Again, this did not seem to be an issue for my players. They weren't the guys that did it, after all. That said, two guest players were more closely affiliated to the Circle of Seekers and might have felt differently. Paul, the player behind Cade, was very pleased with his cameo as an agent of destruction that I acted out on his behalf. His realisation of the true nature of the Santulans came too late for him, but he might have communicated a message to Havima? We'll have to see how John, Havima's player, wants to play it when he next guests. Of course, one character, Soka the Echilibri, had the measure of the Santulan plot early on. The group were challenged by the Children of the Song to participate in a seance, which had them all sharing a vision of the Song of Jeruma. Everyone experienced how the emissaries turned out to be normal workers possessed by other entities, the Santulans. But only Soka considered them evil. Soka considers pretty much all humans evil, so that wasn't a massive leap. He decided that the machine icon and the children of the song were not good for Coriolis's population of Equilibri. And Thomas, his player, told me that he would devote his energies to getting them, his many relations, and others, off the station. Which brings me to another point. Though I tried to get Oshian and Yakub back to the station to rescue Judge Kurahan's son, they simply didn't care enough about him to take the risk. And indeed, there was no one on the station that they cared about enough to attempt to rescue, even if they had been warned as to the fate of Coriolis. I had already placed Oshian's sister elsewhere. So if it's at all possible to try and make sure that your party know of favourite NPCs who are at risk, if not from the destruction of Coriolis, then from the powers of the new regime, do so. It makes me wonder if that is why there is that somewhat railroady element of blowing up the player's ship. If they needed to find another quickly, then perhaps they would call in favours rekindle relationships and, by working together, rescue some friends, or new-found friends at least, from a terrible fate, a little bit like the ending of the last voyage of Ghazali. But this event was one that felt to me most like a railroad. As it was, the players subverted the railroad by splitting the party and the two most technically-minded characters going back to the ship to warm up the reactor early. And actually, they had some really successful dice rolls, shutting down the reactor, and even the loss of two random modules didn't make the ship unusable. 
If they'd not been so lucky, they might not have made such a clean escape with the judge. But if the dice had not gone their way, I would definitely feel like I had railroaded them into exploring more of the story. All in all, though, my advice to GMs planning to run this adventure is don't sweat it, feel free to improvise, but let the major events take place even if the PCs are not directly involved. Next time, I will look at implications for player characters now that the political situation in the horizon has changed so drastically. And adventure ideas. While we await the third part of the adventure. Okay, well, that's really interesting discussion there. And I think um, there's... Go on. No, I was going to say, it's not really a discussion. It's a monologue, because it's just been me talking for about five minutes. Well, uh, this, what we're about to do now is, uh, is an interesting discussion that hopefully asshole. will raise some of the points that I mentioned in the monologue. <sighs> you, you have presented a discussion piece on, on this, which is what I mean. <sighs> I've forgotten what I was going to say now. I've totally taken the wind out of your sails. <laughs> it, so, it was probably. Let me just remind nice. you what you wanted to say was it was great. I loved it. The f- damn adventure's perfect. <laughs> uh, not exactly. Right. <laughs> and so, may the icons bless your adventures. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're recording, that's where you're going to stop, is it? <laughs> when you're yeah. doing the editing. <clears throat> right. Um, so, yeah. I mean,. <clears throat> So I think I think you were going to disagree with my complacent attitude. That's, that's what we discussed before. <laughs> yes. So I, I, so I, as a player in the game, I loved it. I really enjoyed it. I think there are certain elements that were slightly unsatisfying, but would have been, but you know, but but that isn't detracting from the, the amount of fun I had in the in the game itself because I really enjoyed it. <clears throat> Um, so I think there's so there's a, there's a couple of things. Um, the the first one I would I would mention is the kind of the the feeling that events were happening and they weren't particularly relevant. So it felt to me that it went from flash to bang very quickly. Um, so we obviously had the news reports that things were going on and then there was obviously the the um the Zenithian hegemony takeover and there was all the, the potential for war um but the possibility that Coriolis itself might be a threat or might be at risk didn't really come out in the game now as a player I knew that was coming you know I I I learned a long time ago that this was the denouement of this part of the campaign um but as a character I didn't and as a character I didn't you know, there were. You, you, I was watching the news reports. I was seeing things going on. It wasn't good, but then I had my kind of my mission, um, and part of that mission was to try and understand more about what was going on and develop my ability to influence things on behalf of Alan's Temple. But actually, the stuff that was going on about that was so far removed, it felt, from what I was doing, that I never felt there was any way I could influence it. I never felt there was any. Uh, anything there that really mattered to to me particularly in that sense, um, and so going to the 
having so when so when Coriolis was destroyed, it all felt very quick. It all felt a bit. I mean, it felt staged. I guess is is the way I'd put it, um, because you hadn't felt, or I hadn't felt as a player or as a as a character, that there was a, a, this threat building up to that outcome. If there'd been clues or hints that Coriolis was actually really at threat, at risk, and then we learned, but too late, that this was going to happen, then I think it'd have been a lot more satisfying as a player. That's a very right. long-winded way of getting To which I, I, I'm i going to absorb myself totally of the blame here. We missed out two weeks of play because you wouldn't <clears> go back to Coriolis. But we, hadn't, uh, no. we hadn't had no reason to, I guess, isn't it? And that's fine. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not criticising the campaign or you because I really enjoyed it. It was great fun, and I enjoyed doing what I was doing. And I felt motivated to do those specific sort of mission objectives that we were we were working towards. I just had no sense that there was this bigger thing that was really going to be a threat. What What would have been good would you know if we'd learned something that made us just think, okay, something bad is going to go down on Coriolis doesn't have to have been destroyed, just something really bad. It might, you know, we could have had a really fun scenario or two, desperately trying to get loved ones off the station. Or, you know, trying yeah, to... Yeah, and, uh, and just to remind you, that's what Judge Kuhan wanted to persuade you guys to do. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, think, I think there's a, a kind of a structural thing there with... Everybody is led to believe throughout most of the campaign that the Santulans, the emissaries, the Circle of Seekers are good guys. Yeah. Now, the only person who took a different point of view, as I mentioned, is Soka. Yeah. Um, partly, I don't know whether Thomas uh, had you know read read the adventure anyway and knew that was happening but thomas's character's point of view was that uh, all humans are bad interlopers anyway as indeed they are you know i mean when you're talking about space nazis and you're from a race that isn't even classed as being sentient and yet you're having this discussion with them uh-huh. and involved in their um in their uh their seances yeah uh then you may well regard the entire human race as a bunch of racists. Um, that's fair. I, I, but, you know, he was then, he did perceive a threat to Coriolis and a threat specifically to Equilibri society yeah. on Coriolis. Um, and he did manage to get a bunch of loved ones off. And there was potential um, for you guys to do that. But as you say, there, you know, when, when we're talking about here's a mission to take this person to... Um, uh, the women, uh, the the crew, and you're, you know, that that's forty days away. We worked out, I think, in flight, didn't we? Uh, For your ship, a fair distance, yeah. But you know, even if even in a fast ship, it's going to be like fifteen days or something in the fastest ship available. And and if you know, if you say right, okay, I'm going to do that mission, then we'll come back to Coriolis. Then either. I could have played it that as you're doing that, there's all sorts of shenanigans going on in Coriolis and a slow build-up. But um, oh, I don't know whether the timing would have been right for that. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, uh, you know, it, it is 
it is meant to catch you by surprise. I think you know it's definitely meant to. Um, so so take take Paul again. Paul knew because he's gemming the game elsewhere. So he knew about the distraction of Coriolis yeah. and was as a character a kind of a willing part. Although he said, you know, I want my character to realise they've done the wrong thing <laughs> too late. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and you know if if he'd been in a position where I you know I think at the end of the day he was right in the monolith and was blasted away by its discharge uh, yeah. but if he'd been only on the outskirts which is kind of where I'd imagine but you guys yes um to witness it then he would have had that sort of realization that the santulans aren't aren't the wonderful people that and saviors <laughs> that they had been let's face it uh, in in our version of uh, uh, the Curse of Rusa, they were actually helping you close the hole. Yeah. So they were, you know, the last act you'd seen them being doing was, anything with you guys was being, being good guys and positive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And of course, I'm sure they think they're being helpful now, but um, yeah, at the cost of tens and tens of thousands of innocent lives. Yeah. So um, I think I think there is definitely a couple of things there about about. If we'd had a bit of foreshadowing that something bad was building on Coriolis, um, then that would have added to the tension. I think that would have been that would have mm-hmm. been good. Um, I think also, I mean, I found it a bit of a stretch to believe that the monolith was this super gun all along, and nobody noticed. And yeah, it just all well, felt all felt a bit fantastical to me. Um, I don't know. It just it just didn't resonate in the way that I kind of hoped that it might. Um, and it all happened. I tell you, there's an, quite quickly. an interesting thing with the monolith, which <clears throat> I was quite you know. There's been lots of we don't know what the monolith's there for. So yeah. um, uh, you know, and uh, in a wider campaign, I guess we could have explored the monolith and not understood it. But I think if we're not understanding it, then obviously we're not recognising that it's a massive gun. But I do remember a bit of lore, actually, that the monolith points to another monolith over in another system and they kind of stay pointed at each other. And I remember that being mentioned. And, of course, that's interesting. (laughs) Yeah, well, just uh, how does that happen, you know... uh, I think um, we can. I think we can refer this one to uh, our friend and friend of the show, Andy, to work out the <laughs> the physics of how two monoliths on planets in different solar systems in different could, systems could be pointed orbiting, at each other. And I assume both both planets spinning yeah. um, stay pointed to each other. Yeah, I, I want to <clears> dig out that reference now. It's something I only thought of as I was watching this. Uh, we know, you know, there was a. I'm sure there's reference in somewhere to another monolith. There is, a, there is definitely another monolith. I think it's in Menkar or something, isn't it? I yeah. Think. We'll have to dig that out. Yeah. But, you know, uh, uh, not wanting to spoil next week's or next episode's thing, uh, where what do we do in the interim between, um, yes. between now and the publication of the book? Maybe that's a mystery that can be solved. Now we know that there's another monolith. That must mean there's another gigantic space gun. Um, yes. And what do we want to do with that? Um, and is and is the monolith on Kua? Oh, it was destroyed, wasn't it, when Coriolis landed on it? Well, is that right? I don't know whether it's been destroyed. So, so the first thing is a lot of the, the stuff surrounding the gun bit of the monolith crumbles away. So we talked about you know um, the sort of uh, 
stuff that uh, had been built up around the monolith and also, I think, um, the, some of the tunnels and stuff that had been made in the monolith, that all crumbles away to reveal the central pillars. So loads of people died there, including possibly, but maybe not including uh, Tony's aunt. Um, yeah. So that happens. And I imagine the other monolith has got all that crap surrounding it as well. Um, but, we, you know, we mm. can invent that. Yes. Um, I'm not wanting to spoil next week's episode or next episode's um, essay too much. But, of course, I think this is a wonderful opportunity where we can make loads of stuff up while we're playing mm. that can all get then counteracted by the next novel because the whole system is in chaos now. So if you want to do a mission to the other monolith for whatever reason, then we can do that. And then at some point, the politics is going to get more locked down in the state of play. Um, and somebody may want to own that monolith. Yeah. I'll tell you what, though, I think nobody's going to say, hey, let's put a space station in geosynchronous orbit above the monolith. <laughs> yeah, it didn't turn out well last the, time, did The it? bad mistake that the Zenithians <laughs> made on arrival. No, I mean it's it's interesting, and, and yeah, I thought it was a very brave move for Free League to do that, um, mm. and I applaud them for doing that. Actually, and not not a lot of you know, not many companies would have would have done something as uh, you know, drastic as that as part of their campaign, which I think was 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 really clever. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think a lot of made up worlds, and in fact, we were talking about this on the Discord a while back, not in connection with this at all, but. You know, loads of made-up worlds stay the same for ages. Yeah. So, um, you know, technology, for example, in Knights of the Old Republic is pretty much <clears throat> the same as technology in Star Wars. <sighs> That's true, yeah. Uh, it's meant to look better. It's meant to be slightly more advanced and slightly less second-hand. But is it really? And, you know, and, there, and there's meant to be a thousand years between them. Yes. Or yeah, the yeah. thing that really winds me up in RPGs is... Hundreds and hundreds of years have passed between first edition and fourth edition. Well, they're, they're weird with the dates anyway. But but the, the world of L5R is meant to pretty much stay the same but with the same level of technology for hundreds and hundreds of years, uh, whereas we know from the real world that people invent shit. Mm. And, and, you know, what really infuriates me is, you know, players sometimes like to invent shit. And and yet, for some reason, that can't change the geopolitical structure. So I I am really embracing, and particularly next next time I write about this, I will talk about embracing that wonderful moment of change that's been offered to us. Yeah, I think freely should be um, celebrated for for being this brave and mm. destroying this setting. Yeah, no, I agree, and you know, it actually doesn't change the game at all if you don't want to include the campaign as part of your game so oh no absolutely I would, not i would yeah. very much like to resurrect the spectral corsair campaign at some point mm. and i would i will play that but in a in my universe where the the most of the icons hasn't happened you know, yeah so. and you know so again in in my version of l5r which you've not played but in my version of l5r a spectacularly lucky shot defeated a scorpion army um <laughs> in one adventure and so that immediately changed that <clears throat> world so now the scorpion were were not the you know the 
the ever-present uh, force behind the throne. They were they were on the run. They were hiding. Yeah. Uh, they were having to be. Um, they were definitely having to be in disguise and not simply in disguise by wearing a scorpion mask on their faces. Because uh-huh. um, you know, I like that change. But yes. you, you know, eat, everybody can have their own table, and people can have Coriolis still surviving as a station. Yeah. If they want, absolutely, or not. Yeah. Um, uh, and you know, and you know, from now on, there's already mentioned in the epilogue an attempt to kind of start rebuilding uh, a Coriolis in a different place mm. in the uh, in in the horizon. So you know, you could even just rebuild Coriolis. Do we expect um, to find the the Nadir turning up? And then being well, who can turned, tell? Turned into the new Coriolis. I mean, I think you know what what we're promised at the end of the book is uh, next year, or maybe I should pick it up and actually read it out. But um, I can't. No, I haven't got it anywhere near me. Um, but they talk about you know in in the third book, open warfare between the first, second, and third horizons will be a major will be a major plot. Yeah. Um, so. Where does the Nadir fit in there? I don't know. No, it's it uh, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I how they've where they've taken the campaign because I never saw Coriolis as a game about massive interstellar conflicts, mm. and here we are going to be getting a campaign which is all fr- phased around. Massive interstellar Well, is conflict? it still going to be massive? Inter- you know, it it may not still be interstellar because there's still the communication problems. So, but um, they're going to have to have some way of the, the the three different horizons interacting. If oh, absolutely, you're having but, war between the first, second, and third horizons. Uh, so, I there is talk of uh, Trian's system being a uh, having an unstable portal to the first horizon. Yeah. Uh, at the back of the book but and there is also talk of the um the thing that you guys witness in the seance where uh, uh the emissaries first arrived you you will spoilers if you go back to that system you will find it very difficult to fly a ship into that system because it seems that um shenanigans are happening there yeah but they will still be relatively you know so they're not going to be sending in nor- well i don't know maybe the first horizon can send enormous fleets of their very deadly butterfly ships into uh into the Troan system but uh yeah i this is a world of change and we you yeah. know we, we we can project all sorts of things and until the final book um Gives us some other ideas. Yes, 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 absolutely. Now it'd be interesting. Do you have an idea of when that when they're likely to publish that third part? No idea at all. No. Okay. I mean, you know, uh, you and I were talking with Anna about what was coming out in time for UK Games Expo, and, and it wasn't mentioned. That wasn't in that list, was it? No. No. Um, so, but I mean, uh, they are. I mean, they are super busy doing so much stuff. Um, yeah, I guess something has to give. Yeah, but why should it be Coriolis? <laughs> it just means that you have to make up some scenarios for a few months, mate. Yeah, <laughs> but no, the whole point of this is I like not having to make up scenarios. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's always the possibility we could do something different on a Monday evening if we want to take a break. 
Yeah, there's that possibility. Alien, yeah. alien the colony, perhaps. It's an option. Yeah, it is. It is an uh, option, actually. Um, but I do have an adventure that I think we can start yeah. streaming next Monday. Absolutely, so, I'm in. Uh, I'm in no rush to stop playing Coriolis at all. I'm just saying, mm. if we if we've got a long hiatus, and um, and you're not wanting to have to create something every two weeks, then um, yeah, we could. But I have, have got, and, and we'll talk a little bit about that next week. But I have got some plans. Yeah, cool. Um, but we um, let's... for 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 mercy of the icons, we just have to wait and see. Yes, indeed. Right, shall we so, say goodbye again? I I think yeah, I think we've probably yeah, it's quite a long episode again. This one's going to be an hour and a half nearly now. But yeah, uh, so yeah. if you've listened this far on, hopefully you knew about the spoilers anyway. Um, but yeah, thank you for listening, and um, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. May the icons bless your adventure. You have been listening to The Effect Podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music, stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing.